All right. Namo myoho renge kyo, namo myoho renge kyo, namo myoho renge kyo. Hi, friends. Hope you're uh, healthy and uh, safe. All right, Jewel. It is cold out here. It is a balmy 12 degrees Fahrenheit right now. Uh, and my new little puppy is a little nervous. I'm not sure why. So she may interrupt us a little bit today. My apologies for that. But she's still adorable. You just got to, I don't know what it is with puppies and pets in general. I never did this with my, well, maybe I did. I had, uh, for years, I had uh, some Oscars, a big old tank. And that, that, that fish is the closest thing to a dog in water. <laughs> it follows me around. Yeah, I've always been an animal person, so. I know as a Buddhist, that's a weird thing to say, but maybe not. <laughs> All right. What an introduction to chapter 16. The lifespan of the thus come one. And now, Nitrin, this is all, this is mm, his mark in the sand, right? This explains so much of all of Shakyamuni's teachings from the get-go. It didn't change. He just changed the perception of those he was teaching. You're going to be a pain in the butt now, Jewel. Mm. Stop it. Come on, be a good girl. Where is she? She finds more hiding spots. Here you are. Here you are. Look at that eating carpet. Ah. I don't remember my three-year-old doing that, but she probably did. At that time, the Buddha declared to the bodhisattvas and all the great multitude. Here it comes, right? He prepped us for this, answering Maitreya, who still wants to see Buddha as something disseminated by this man, Shakyamuni. <sighs> Not the case. I mean, with all of the hyperbole and examples throughout all of the sutras, that Shakyamuni is given of breaking down this, this attachment to time and the body. Still, still, his students are like, but you're going to give us Buddha, right? <laughs> no, Buddha, Buddha, is, it's life. It's the engine of life. It's, it's what you are, I am, it is, everything is of Buddha. You just have to wake your mind up to it. Your mind doesn't want to see it. Your mind wants to be attached to all the stuff because it's fun. It's much more fun, though, to be part of the entire flow. How immense is that? Come on. Shift your perception. Okay. Here we go. Good men and women. Believe and understand the true speech of the thus come one. I'm going to tell you again. Now listen to what I'm saying. Basically. Again, he declared to the great multitude. Believe and understand the true speech of the thus come one. Or the true, mm, hate to use the word words, but. 
speech being used as, because you need to understand what it means, right? Again, he declared to the great multitude, the third time, believe and understand the true speech of the thus come one. Are you paying attention yet? At this time, the great multitude of bodhisattvas, Mayatreya at their head, okay, I'm paying attention this time, with palms joined, addressed the Buddha saying, O oh, world-honored one, we beg you to speak it like they're going to hear something totally new. Maybe it finally will be. It's, it's, it's kind of our nature, isn't it? When we finally break down those weird obstacles that we never were aware were there, but they were there all the time. And we finally open our mind. We hear the same thing, but we hear it differently. We hear it and we finally hear it. You ever have those moments in life? Those moments where you go, oh, oh, I get it, right? The renge, the, right? You've heard me say it a million times, that aha moment. Hmm? All right. We will accept with resolve the words of the Buddha, the speech of the Buddha, the, what the Buddha is saying, but the words of the Buddha. Mm, okay. When they had thus spoken three times, they again said, we beg you to speak it. We will accept with resolve the words of the Buddha. Okay. At that time, the world-honored one, knowing that the Bodhisattva's plea, now thrice repeated, would not be stilled declared to them, all of you now listen with understanding to the power of the secret supernatural penetrations of the thus come one. He actually says it a fourth time, but okay. In all the worlds, in all the realms, men, women, Ashuras, all say that the present Shakyamunibuddha left the palace of the Shaka clan, as Siddhartha Gautama, right? And at a place not far removed from the city of Gaia, seated on the platform of the path, he was working on figuring this out, attained Anuttara Samyak Sambodai, complete, perfect enlightenment. Right? The whole ball of wax the whole enchilada. And yet, O oh good men and women, since in fact I achieved Buddhahood, it has been incalculable, limitless, hundreds of thousands of myriads of millions of nayutas of kalpas. Break this time problem. I did not invent Buddha. Me, this guy, I did not invent Buddha. Buddha has existed since time, no time. Inconceivable time. Time as it's occurring, moment to moment to moment to moment to moment to moment to moment. 
Do you think he said it correctly? I don't know what the Prakrit sounded like. I don't know what the translations into Pali, Sanskrit, Gandhari, and a million Chinese, Japanese, Korean. I don't know if those capture the conceptual song of Prakrit. But it's another attempt at saying the same damn thing. Will we get it? For example, one might imagine that in the 500,000 myriad of millions of Nayutas of Asamkayas of thousands, millionfold worlds, there is a man who pounds them all to atoms. Atoms. 3,000 years ago, atoms. And then, only after passing eastward over 500,000 myriads of millions of Nayutas of Asamkaya of realms, deposits one atom. In this way, in his eastward movement, eastward movement, momentum, movement, exhausting all these atoms. Well, it was impossible to consider the immensity of what he was describing in the first place. Now he's taking all of that, crushing it into some pouch. Supposedly this guy has a magic container that can hold all of that. And as he goes and passes five times that, one atom of it, and then keeps going. All right. How hard is he working to try to dislodge this attachment to past, present, future? Time. Um, eh, eh. There, when, now, 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 future. Eh, eh, eh. Stop it. Everything is now. Like Einstein said, past, present, and future are happening all over, everywhere, at the same time. What? Yes, it breaks the mind, doesn't it? Mm. But consider it for a moment. In his explanation of Anuttara Samyak Sambodai, the enlightened state is the state from which everything is produced. So for our wonderful little sentient mind to perceive it shouldn't be a big issue. The only thing in our way is our constant possession of time. I used to have that. I hope to have that. Stop it. Look at what you have. You have everything. Why are you wanting Starting to sound like a Baptist preacher. <laughs> Good men and women, in your thinking, how would it be? Could these world spheres be conceived of and counted? Right? Are you going to identify and discriminate all of these atoms and everywhere they've gone and, and discriminate and identify and time, 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 time? Could one know their number or could one not? It's like maybe make a different argument, but he's doing the best. He's just making this point to the point of such ridiculousness, trying to break this hold of samsara, of ownership. 
How's it? Oh, pages are sticking together. The Bodhisattva Maitreya and the others together address the Buddha, saying, Oh, world-honored one, these world spheres are incalculable. Yes, you know that logically, but do you get it? Limitless. Mm-hmm. Such as, such as number cannot know, such a number, typo, cannot know nor the power of thought reach. You're getting it. No voice hearer or Pratyaka Buddha with the aid of his knowledge without outflows can think on or know their limit or their number. Okay? We too, dwelling as we do on the soil of the Avairavata, or point of non-backsliding cannot arrive at anything where this matter is concerned a, a world honored one so incalculable and limitless are these world spheres still relying on what they think they've achieved with this false nirvana right point of no backsliding at that time, the Buddha declared to the great multitude of bodhisattvas, all oh, good men and good women, now I will declare it to you plainly. If these world spheres, whether an atom was deposited in them or not, were all reduced again to atoms, and if each atom were a kalpa, the time since my achievement of Buddhahood would exceed even this. What's he saying? Please don't get confused here. This is so crystal clear to me and certainly was to Nietzschean and other scholars. Yeah, I'm not calling myself on the... Just go with me here. What Shakyamuni is saying is, look, me, I, hmm, have achieved something that has been part and parcel of what I am since time without beginning. Because it's not about me, this body, this thing that's carrying around the mechanisms that instantiate this mind of perception, of no of witnessing. Because Buddhahood isn't just something I achieved. Buddhahood is something from which we all are instantiated of. This potential is something I'm witnessing. We're calling it Buddha. But what I'm witnessing isn't new. What I'm witnessing is the very thing from which I am instantiated of. This is why Shakyamuni is always talking in the first person, because he views his existence as the flow of the energy of life, the engine of life, the Buddha. I am not this body. That's why we talk about the three bodies of Buddha. We're trying to bridge our samsaric physical mind of attachment with the non-attached reality of the mind, which isn't, it's not in your wrist, it's not by your pancreas, it's not 
a thing. It's an experience. The mind is an experience. And the experience of the mind can see without the attachment of being physical. Its being is simply engaged with the momentum of life. Just like the sun, the stars, the moon, and all other sentient minds who can do the same thing. This is Buddhahood. Shakyamuni Siddhartha didn't invent it. They just sort of ran into a mirror, didn't they? And Nichiren uses that mirror analogy, analogy to great effect throughout his writings, yeah? But this is what Nichiren sees. He sees that when we truly see ourselves in a mirror, we understand that the mirror isn't ourself. It's a representation that gives us all sorts of identifiable, discriminatory characteristics, but the self isn't there, is it? It's an experience of the mind. <clears throat> you don't have to dislodge it from this body. You simply need to recognize that it isn't this body. And this is what Shakyamuni is painfully trying to get across. You think I went to this place and found it. But the truth is, this has been in existence throughout. We are it. All right. For a hundred thousand myriads of millions of Nayutas of Asamkaya Kalpas, I have been constantly dwelling in this Saha world sphere, preaching the Dharma, teaching and converting, also elsewhere in a hundred thousand myriads of millions of Nayutas of Asamkayas of realms. I have been, I have been, I Buddha, the Buddha, not me, Shakyamuni, the Buddha has been guiding and benefiting the beings. Good men and women, in this interval I preached of the Buddha torch burner and others, and I also said of them that they had entered into nirvana. Things like this are all discriminations made as an expedient device basically saying that his human embodied presence is an expedient. It's an expedient of Buddha to get other sentient minds to realize the same without time. O oh, good men and women, I live, if living beings come before me, excuse me, I, with my Buddha eye, observe the keenness or dullness of their resolve and other faculties in keeping with their degrees of receptiveness to liberation. How attached are you? How hard is it going to be for you to make this shift of perception? Ascribe to myself names that are not the same and an age in years that is now great, now small, 
So Buddha appears as many different personas, the emanations of Shakyamuni as Buddha-ness. I also declare openly that I will enter into nirvana. You'll have to look for a different label for the same thing, Buddha. Further, by resort to sundry expedient devices, I preach a subtle dharma, being thus able to cause the beings to open their thoughts to joy. So the ultimate expedient device, what he's explaining, is that because of this incessant attachment to body and time, I'm going to go ahead and die. I'll be extinct. So what are you going to attach your identity to then? And as he says in the Mahaparivirvana on his deathbed, just keep doing what I taught you in the lotus. Just keep doing that. But what are we going to do after you're gone? Even on his deathbed, after preaching this sutra, his closest disciples were rallying around him, feeling lost. What are we going to do? You're already doing it. Oh, man. That's so frustrating. Oh, good men. The thus come ones, seeing the beings as desire for lesser dharmas, their qualities thin and their defilements grave, preaches to such persons, saying, In my youth I left my household and attained Anuttara Samyak Sambodai. Do the same. However, since in fact I achieved Buddhahood, it has been as long a stretch of time as this. Indescribable, right? It is merely by resort to an expedient device in order to teach and convert living beings to enable them to enter upon the Buddha path that I speak such words as these. O oh, good men, the scriptural canon preached by the thus come one is all for the purpose of conveying living beings to deliverance. At times he speaks of his own body. At times of another's body. At times he shows his own body, at times another's body. At times his own affairs, at times another's affairs. Everything he says is reality, not vanity. It's not about Shakyamuni or Siddhartha or Vairochana or Amida. You have to stop thinking in those terms. What is the reason? The thus come one in full accord with reality knows and sees the marks of the triple sphere. There is no birth and death whether withdrawal from or emergence into the world, nor is there any being in the world, nor anyone who passes into extinction. We're all moment-to-moment -moment expressions of potential. The potential is the thing to keep an eye on. The mechanism, the karma, the engine of life. It's fascinating. Look at all the colors, like a sparkler. Remember my old analogy about the sparkler and all the sparks? 
The triple sphere is neither reality nor vanity, neither likeness nor difference. Not in the manner of the triple sphere does he view the triple sphere. Such matters as these that thus come one sees clearly, without confusion or error. He's prescribing what enlightenment is like. Since the living beings have sundry natures, sundry desires, sundry actions, sundry recollections, the past, notions and discriminations, right? This samsara. Wishing to enable them to produce wholesome roots by resort to diverse, diverse parable, diverse, another typo, parables and expressions in sundry ways he preaches the dharma trying to reach people at where they are right that's expedient devices skillful means the buddha deeds that he does he has never stopped doing in this way since my attainment of buddhahood it has been a very great interval of time because again, he's speaking as not the Buddha, but a human vehicle to communicate the engine of life. The Buddha-ness with a voice and an interpretive skill to communicate with other sentient minds. Look, do this. My lifespan is incalculable asamkaya kalpas, ever enduring, never perishing. Can we talk about time again? Oh, good men, the lifespan I have achieved in my former treading of the bodhisattva path, even now, is not exhausted, for it is twice the above number. Now, that's important what he just said. Because the truth, quote-unquote, of the matter is that when Buddhaness takes hold of your sentience when you allow it to do so. Your body, a way of thinking of it is that your body is transformed as Shakyamuni's was, a vehicle of proselytizing, of sharing, of bringing others to this mind. And therefore your body is no longer Bob, Ted, Sylvain, John, your body is now bodhisattva because its only purpose is to bring this awareness of Buddhahood to the world, to live with that awareness, to radiate that awareness, to assist others to find uh, the same. Being born of Buddha, the engine of life, if the engine of life could talk, bodhisattva, what would it say? What would it be here for? So, as I've said before, Shakyamuni, the label, the man, actually a bodhisattva, coursing in the world in the Buddha way, enlightened, 
This is the ultimate goal of our lives, to become bodhisattvas, communicators of the core reality, the engine of life. Everything else, all those concerns about samsara, they just, they're not important. Again, I, I hate to go back this far, but anyone who's chanting to resolve things in samsara is totally missing the power of this practice. How can those petty problems of a brief lifetime on the earth compare to living timeless with the entire cosmos? It's, it's so insignificant. Not that the you let them roll over you, that's part of the same attachment. They simply go away. Whatever stresses, anxieties you're experiencing, they're minimized to the point of... There's only one thing of import. This vast experience of the engine of life and sharing it with others. Problems? What problems? Hmm. Yet even now, though in reality I am not to pass into extinction, yet I proclaim that I am about to accept extinction. By resort to these expedient devices, the thus come one teaches and converts the beings. There he said it, specifically. I'm going to die just so you guys get it. Get to do this on your own. Stop putting it on me. I'm not it. I'm a window. I'm a window so that you can see clearly by doing exactly as I'm doing. What's the problem? What is the reason? If the Buddha were to dwell long in this world, men and women of thin qualities would not plant wholesome roots. You wouldn't endeavor to do what I'm doing. You'd just rely on me. Well, he's here. He'll take care of it. That's what we do, isn't it? Rely on mommy and daddy. Rely on our boss. Rely on the government. Rely on... Man. That's the nature of attachment. While the lowly and the poor would crave the objects of the five desires and enter into the net of recollections, the net of recollections, past, Hmm? notions and unwarranted views because everything's about maintaining that stuff. If they were to see that the thus come one is ever present and unperishing, then they would conceive pride and willfulness and harbor impatience and negligence. Well, I'm worth it. Give it to me. Unable to produce notions of something difficult to encounter or thoughts of humble reverence. A little bit of introspection might be helpful here. It is for this reason that the thus come one preaches by resort to expedient devices. All of them. Bhikshus, bhikshunis know that the Buddha's emergence into the world is a thing difficult to encounter. 
What is the reason? Men and women of thin qualities may pass through incalculable hundreds of thousands of myriads of millions of kalpas, some having occasion to see a Buddha, others not. For just this reason I say to them, O bhikshus, bhikshunis, a thus come one cannot easily be seen. These beings, hearing such words, will invariably produce a notion of something difficult to encounter, and they will harbor longing in their hearts, looking up with thirst to the Buddha. Then they will plant wholesome roots. But still not quite right, is it? It is for this reason that the thus come one, though in fact he has he is never extinct. I shouldn't say he is never extinct. It is never extinct. Buddha is never extinct. But this bodhisattva version that can talk to you, know your thoughts, help you to achieve, that's a temporary... If it weren't temporary, then you'd bank on that bodhisattva as it. But it is Buddhaness, and it is already part of who, what you are. But we want to externalize everything. That's a problem. Yet speaks of passage into extinction. Also, O oh good men, the Dharma of the Buddhas of the Thus Come One, having the sole purpose of conveying the beings to liberation, is in every case reality, not vanity. It's not about me. It's about Buddha. For example, suppose there is a good physician, wise and penetrating sen sensitivity, who intelligently refines medical herbs and skillfully heals many sicknesses. Hmm? That man has many sons. 10 or 20, or as many as 100 or more. Prolific dude. And a really uh, fortuitous, how do you say it? Very strong wife. <laughs> or many wives. Yeah, that could happen. On an affair of business, he goes far off to another realm. His sons, left behind, drink some other poisonous medicines and show agonized pain and confusion rolling about the earth. Oh, crap. Dad isn't here. We've taken the wrong medicine for whatever we felt, and now we're rolling around and writhing in pain. Damn it. What are we going to do? At that time, their father returns home. The sons having drunk poison and some of them having lost their sanity, though others have not, are all overjoyed at seeing their father from afar. Oh, he's coming home. Oh, man, he's got to help us, right? You get the analogy already? They kneel worshipfully, worshipfully. Ugh. They kneel beseechingly and inquire after him, saying, Welcome back to peace and security. We, in our folly, have made the mistake of taking poisonous medicine. We beg you to heal us and restore our lives to us. This is how Shakyamuni is picturing his life in the realm of physical forms on the earth 3,000 years ago. The father, seeing how acute were the agonies of his sons, of course, he cares deeply, wouldn't you? 
Searched for good medicinal herbs, colorful, fragrant, and tasty, perfect in every way, guided by the prescriptions in his treatises, he pounded, sifted, and blended them, then gave them to his sons, ordering them to take them, speaking these words. Take this great and good herbs. Take these great and good herbs, colorful, fragrant, and tasty, perfect in every way, for you shall then quickly be rid of your agonies and shall never again be subject to a host of torments. These are the teachings of Shakyamuni Buddha. Hmm? As Buddha. Among the sons, those who had not lost their sanity, seeing that these herbs were good in both color and fragrance, straight away they took them. Oh, yes, thank you, Dad. And their sickness was completely removed and healed. The others, though, who had lost their sanity, that's a trick. Conspiracies abound. I can't trust my brothers. I can't trust my dad. Though they saw their father coming, they too inquired after him joyfully and sought a cure for their sickness, yet when given the medicine, still would not take it. I don't know. I don't know if this will fix me or not. What, what's wrong with you? What is the reason? It is that through a deep entry of the poisonous vapors, they had lost their sanity. They couldn't reason. Buddhism is about the mind, and that includes being, I was going to say reasonable, but using our power of reason, right? Our vigor of investigation, our rigorous mind. They said that this lovely, colorful, fragrant medicine was no good. The father thought, these children are to be pitied. What can I do? Their thoughts, having been affected by poison, are all topsy-turvy. Though when he, they saw me, they rejoiced and sought relief. Fine medicine like this, they will not consent to take. They're paranoid. I must now devise an expedient with which to introduce them, or induce them, sorry, to take this medicine. Straight away he spoke these words. I know what I'll do. You all should know that I am now aged and infirm, that my time of death is already at hand. This fine and good medicine I now leave here for you to take. Have no concern about not recovering. When he had given these instructions, he went again to another realm and sent a messenger back to declare, Your father is dead. At this time, the sons, hearing that their father had forsaken them, felt much anguish in their hearts. Oh, he gave up on us. And thought, if our father were here, he would take pity on us and, he would be, and we could be saved and protected. But now he's forsaken us. He's dead forsaken you having gone far off to die in another country thinking themselves forsaken and exposed having nothing further on which to rely because forbid they'd have to take responsibility for themselves they ever harbored feelings of sadness it is only when at length their thoughts were awakened 
that they understood that the medicine was colorful, fragrant, and tasty. Then straight away they took it, and the poisons and sickness were all healed. Right? Finally, because there was no chance of being saved now, even by the guy they suspect was poisoning them again. But, you know, he's gone, oh, man, we'll never get saved. Blah, blah, blah. What are we going to do? Might as well take this. And they're healed. The father, hearing that his sons had all achieved a cure, then came back, enabling all to see him. I'm not dead. Just pulling your leg. Oh, good men, in your thinking, how is it? Is there any man who can say that this good physician is guilty of the sin of willfully false speech? Or is there not? The response, there is not. Oh, world-honored one. The Buddha said, so too am I. As I reach extinction and I go, bye-bye. Those of you who are too stubborn to let go of your attachment to body, you won't be able to rely on, well, I'll just go see Shakyamuni and he'll give me Buddhahood. <clears throat> You'll have to do it for yourself. You'll have to redouble your practice to see if it even works. And you'll get there. Ah. The Buddha said, so too am I. Since my achievement of Buddhahood, it has been incalculable, limitless, hundreds, thousands, myriads of millions of nayutas of asamkaya kalpas. For the beings' sake, for your sake, for every living being's sake, by resort to my power of expedient devices, I say that I shall pass into extinction. You're going to watch me die. Still, there is no one who can, in keeping with the Dharma, say that I'm guilty of the sin of willfully false speech. Because you're going to see my body die. But that doesn't kill Buddha. That just kills this provisional body. At that time, the world honored one wishing to restate this meaning proclaimed gathas. And we, as, as form dictates, <laughs> so far anyway, we will save the gathas for the next video. <laughs> Just like a serialized television show. Is this making sense? I hope it is. This is a very important chapter. This is, this is, this isn't poetics. This is almost a desperate plea for understanding here of what essentially Buddhism has been teaching all along. But now it's like, you have no choice. You have to understand this. That Shakyamuni is not Siddhartha Gautama. Shakyamuni is a vessel for Buddha, and so are you. All you need do is recognize that. Realize is the word we keep running into. 
right? Awaken because you're sleepwalking through life, waiting for shit to happen to you. All right. Thank you for listening. Well, I welcome comments or emails. Either way, some of you are reticent to put stuff in public discourse. I don't blame you. Some of you may have questions that are deeply personal. Use my email, tlksylvain at gmail, right? Links in the description. Please help support this effort. Help others to feel inspired and convinced, confident in their practice as you are. Namo myo Thank you always for your support in time, in likes and subscription, subscribing, yeah. Buying ebooks, buying books, buying mandalas. Don't forget all the free podcasts and the free info on threefoldlotus.com. There's tons of stuff there. I will see you in the next one. Take care of yourself. Bye for now. 